Om Namo Narayanaya. This is a recording of a talk of James Swartz on the Bhagavad Gita at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. Sarashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam Asmadacharya Paryantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishwaro Guratmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatos Miham Okay The nature of experience is three gunas. <clears throat> Understand? Every this this teaching can be used in two ways. It can be used to purify your mind, or it can be used as a method of discrimination. It works both ways, for both. As a purification of the mind, it produces sattva. If you'll notice on this chart, we have awareness here at the top, and uh, we have the causal body next, and the subtle body below. The causal body is between the subtle body and the self. Self is pure awareness, pure light, pure consciousness, limitless, non-dual, actionless awareness. It's your, your real self, your true self. There's only one self, there's not an untrue self, but... And this subtle body is the reflected self. It's in the subtle body that you gain knowledge. That's where you, your knowledge and your ignorance resides, here in the subtle body. So if, if there's a filter between yourself and the subtle body, then whatever's in the filter is going to affect the, the subtle body. It's pretty simple. You can imagine, imagine if you have uh, a blank wall and the sun is shining on that wall and you have three buckets of water, three buckets in front of that wall, and one bucket has got still muddy water in it, the other has clear water, but there's a, a fan blowing on it, and the third one, the water is clear and still, and you're asked to determine what the nature of the sun is by looking at the reflection on the wall. You know, we said you can't, you can't see yourself directly. You can't see yourself directly. Why not? Because the self is beyond perception. It's not an object of perception. So you can't see it, smell it, taste it, feel it, think it, touch it. There's no way you can contact yourself directly. Because... The you that is trying to contact the self is the self. So uh, there's no way you can touch yourself or see yourself. However, you can see yourself in the subtle body. You can see, what can you see? You can see the reflection of the self in the subtle body. 
Now, in the in the dark, still black water, muddy water, what kind of a reflection are you going to see? <laughs> You're not going to see a reflection, are you? Why? Huh? These are people who are atheists, basically. These are people who say there's no self. They've never experienced it. They don't believe it. They can't see it. Why is that? Because their mind is covered with darkness. Maya has these two powers. We said avarana and vikshepa, projection and denial. The concealing power and what? And the, and the projecting power. It has a third power too, the revealing power, but we're not talking about that now. Sattva is the revealing power, Rajas is the projecting power, and Thomas is the concealing power. So when Thomas, Tamaguna, is, is predominant in the causal body, then what will you have any knowledge or experience of yourself? <laughs> you won't. These are people who say that there is no God, they've never seen God, and they think that everybody who talks about God or anybody that has any ideas about God is a little crazy. Because their mind is under the spell of this guna. It's not their fault. It's just that the light of awareness is shining on this mind, all the, on the subtle body all the time. Constantly shining on the subtle body, awareness shines on every object. And but it's absorbed by the tamaguna. That's why you don't see awareness in material objects, because material objects are made of the tamasic aspect of the subtle elements. All of the elements have a rajasic. Tamasic and sattvic aspect, and the material world is made from the tamasic aspect of the five subtle elements. So you won't see consciousness here. We we point at you. We, you will see consciousness here as the existence of the object, but you won't see it reflected as awareness, as reflected awareness in a material objects, and so. In a dull or tamasic mind, you're not going to see or experience or know awareness. Now, in a rajasic mind, what are you going to see? You're going to see energy. Huh? These are your these are your energy lovers. You're, we call them shakti junkies. Huh? These are basically like the yoga people. Most, a lot of them are real shakti junkies. They love the energy. Hmm? Because the, their minds are rajasic. We call them the, the, yoga, most yogas, not all yogas. This yoga is not so bad. But there's some yogas that are just pure, what are called rajasic shakti sadhanas. They're practices designed to what? produce rajas and sattva in a spiritual situation through spiritual practice to produce this tremendous feeling of shakti, of energy, power. It's a great feeling. It's a really, it's a really wonderful feeling. The problem with the kundalini shakti. Huh? You've all heard of kundalini shakti? Kundalini shakti is what? Very beautiful. It's very amazing, but What's the, what's the problem with Kundalini Shakti? With any any it's it's fickle. It changes. It'll be there just it'll be so glorious and wondrous and you'll be so high and you'll feel so energetic and so wonderful and then what happens? Boom! It's gone. Changes into some other state. Morphs into into one of the other gunas. And all what happens to all your shakti? Say, oh, I lost my enlightenment. I lost, oh my God, I lost it. Where did it go? And you try to get back your shakti. You try to get back your energy. You go do some more spiritual practices. Breath of fire, kundalini, whatever you do. There's all kinds of 
different practices to activate or get your rajas going because it appears in the mind as energy. This is a, in India, there are tens of millions, maybe one or two hundred million people who are called Shakti Bhavas. Shakti Bhavas are people who worship the Shakti. That's their, their form. They, they, they dress in red. Huh? You saw those there? Yeah. Uh, they, they're, uh, they go to these temples and, and they have tremendous amount of energy. And they're the main guru for that, the Shakti Bhavas in South India, has, he has an cre- incredible Shakti. You can just look at you and, and you get a hit of Shakti. Or think about you and you get a hit of Shakti. And that Rajasic mind there is what? It is causing that energy, that spiritual energy, to stimulate you and excite you. And give you visions and so forth. And then, now what if, but what if your mind is sattvika? Still, it's not dull and it's not shaking. It's not dancing. What, what are you going to see? You're going to see the self shining in your mind just as it is actually in reality. So, the sadhana, the spiritual work, huh, meditation and so forth and so on, all the spiritual practices, they're, what they're about is, is manipulating or controlling or changing the relative proportions of the gunas to produce a, a mind that's predominantly sattvic. In other words eliminating most of the tamas, eliminating some of the rajas, and what? And, and doing actions producing that what? Produce more and more sattva. Because then, uh, then the mind becomes very, very clear and very still, and it's easy to contemplate, it's easy to meditate, and it's easy to experience the reflected awareness uh, in the mind. And you can gain knowledge from the reflection if the reflection is pure. Like when you look in a mirror at yourself, uh, you're not seeing yourself, are you? You're seeing a reflection in the mirror, but what? You know what? that it's yourself, don't you? So this... Huh? The body. Huh? Yeah, the body. But here the body's a, a symbol of the self, your face. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I said the, I said the self, and I meant the body as a as a symbol of the self. So now this doesn't mean that you want to get rid of all your tamas or all your rajas. All these gunas, because they're in Maya, they have an upside and a downside. There's good good there's, there's a positive aspect to sattva and a negative aspect to sattva. A positive aspect to rajas and a negative aspect to rajas and a positive aspect to tamas and a negative aspect to tamas. So you need to what? Manage the proportions of those rajas and tamas according to the kind of mind that you want. This is this knowledge is extremely helpful in in any worldly endeavor because you can for whatever kind of task you're doing you can create the kind of mind that's suitable for that task. You'll remember that earlier on uh, Ishwara said I create the caste system according to the guna model. Why? He, uh, people with pre- different predominant gunas in different combinations, can perform particular tasks more efficiently than other people with other combination, other guna combinations. So you can, you can create the kind of mind that's suitable to, for success in any endeavor. Now, obviously, what we want 
Because we want moksha. We want freedom. And freedom is what? Is the knowledge of what? Of satya and mitya. That's complete knowledge. Knowledge of the subject and the object. What's real and what's apparently real. And that knowledge is, where is that taking place? That knowledge isn't taking place in the self. That knowledge is taking place in the subtle body. Because it's the subtle body that's ignorant. <laughs> the self is not ignorant. The subtle body is ignorant. The reflection, the jiva, is the one that's ignorant. So that jiva's mind needs to be what? Prepared. Needs to be guna ready for receiving and retaining this knowledge and for discriminating. Rajas is very valuable for what? For motivation. If you don't have any any rajas, you won't be motivated to do your job, whatever it is. In this case, to inquire. So you need rajas. I'm not saying get rid of all your rajasic shakti. You need to cultivate enough rajasic shakti to what? To accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. In this case, to get a pure mind. And you shouldn't get rid of all your tamas. Why not? Because tamas... is responsible for sleep. And if you don't sleep properly, your mind will be too very rajasic and very tamasic. You'll be wired but tired. You'll have a strong desire to sleep, but you'll be unable to sleep because you have too much rajas. And so you'll be in this very weird condition and you won't be able to think properly. You won't be able to discriminate at all. So, I need Thomas to sleep, and I need Thomas for another reason, to ground things. (laughs) Many people come to me uh, in the spiritual world, and and they're highly sattvic and rajasic, and they'll tell me, they'll tell me what their problem is, and I'll say, well, what's the problem? They say, well, uh, I'm not grounded. Hmm? I'm not grounded. Well, that's because they don't have they they've done so much spiritual work that they they they've removed most of their Thomas, and they can't sleep properly, and they can't take care of practical details in life. Thomas is the thing that causes you to to take an idea and make it practical and real. To, to to root it in, in material reality. So it's there to work for you and serve you. So Thomas is that, it's, it has a very, an upside too. You don't want to just get rid of all your Thomas. So, and sattva, what's the problem with sattva? You get very, very vain and, and, and addicted to pleasure. Remember we said here, sattva is what causes pleasure. And your mind is sattvic. And you don't want to get addicted to pleasure or what? You'll get stuck in sattva. And there's a natural progression from, from the time you're a child when you're just tamasic to when you become rajasic and then you gradually become sattvic. So you have to use tamas to get, rajas to get out of tamas and then you have to get out of rajas into sattva. But once you get to sattva, your life is good. In fact, it's so good, generally, that people stop seeking for moksha at that time. And they get stuck in pleasure. They get stuck in comfort and convenience and luxury and ease. Their lives are just too good. Huh? And they lose, their, but they lose their burning desire for liberation. And they think they're very, 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 very superior and very holy and very, very spiritual. They're conceited. It said here, absence of conceit is one of the values. That's a sattvic problem. Because you're successful and you've got a lot of pleasure in your life and life is going good and everything's working right and you get stuck thinking you're wonderful there. And, and so it's, it's called a golden chain. It's a golden rope. It'll tie you down just as much as Rajas or Thomas. So... 
to to produce for your sadhana, for your spiritual work, for your spiritual practice, managing the gunas is essential. And you don't really have to know anything more than what these three gunas are to manage them. And you just need to connect your behavior to the guna. That's all. That's what he said here. He said here, uh, sattva is, he said, sattva is the, is the cause of virtuous activity and sattva what? And virtuous activities cause sattva. They're both. Both ways. Sattva causes virtuous good activities, dharmic activities, pure and spiritual activities, and pure dharmic spiritual activities cause sattva. Remember? Chicken and the egg? <laughs> which is what? Which is the first? Chicken or the egg? Well, <laughs> neither one's first. You need both of them. So if you do sattvic actions, you'll produce a sattvic mind. If you have a sattvic mind, it will produce what? Sattvic actions. Understand? The same for Rajas and the same for Thomas. So what I need to do is connect, observe huh, the effect of the action on my state of mind. Somebody was asking me at lunch today, is such and such a thing Rajasic or Tamasic or Sattvic? Well, the same thing can be rajasic, tamasic, and sattvic depending uh, from one time to another and uh, depending on your state of mind. So the way you do it, whenever you're doing an activity or you're, you're uh, in, involved in anything, is you observe the effect of the activity on your mind. Like food, I'll just use food for example. Uh, just, just for example. Uh, if if you want to know what the quality of, and food is very important to manage guna wise, I basically had perfect health throughout my life. I've really never been sick, and and uh, it's simply because I've managed the the food the the sattva rajas and tamas in the food. I know how to balance them to keep the pranas uh, healthy, and I never get sick. <laughs> I just, I really, maybe I'll get a cold once in a while and that's it. Uh, and I always feel blissful and energetic because of, because of the management of the gunas. So what you do is is you you get yourself real clear and clean and pure sattvic and then say you eat some some food, whatever it is. Well, let's just take a dramatic food. Uh, you eat a worst you have imbus, worst imbus, huh? huh? On a big bun with some butter on it. And you're nice and clear. Your mind's nice and clear. And then you have a nice beer with it. Those two. Very nice, very pleasant, huh? You're so soft, you feel so happy. The bliss comes, the joy comes, and everything like that. And you think, oh, this is very good. This is sattva, this is my spiritual practice. Every day I'll eat imbus like that. <laughs> and I'll get my, get a sattvic mind and gain moksha. And you feel so sattvic, that's called the immediate effect. What is, what is that immediate effect? That immediate effect is just your desire for the food, erase, the food erases the desire for the food, and you go to the causal body and you experience bliss for a little bit because you got rid of your desire. So you, you get the happiness, and you think, oh, that's sattva. Well, it is sattva, but then what happens? About 20 minutes later, what happens? Huh? Dull. Your mind is so dull. Hmm? There's the post-digestive effect of the food. After the food has been digested, that tamasic energy gets into the bloodstream, it gets up to your brain, and what happens? Your mind gets dull and stupid. So then you'll conclude, well, that's not a good food for meditation. And in fact, there's, I haven't read any meditation books where they, uh, they recommended worse than beer. <laughs> <laughs> 
if anybody has, I'd like, uh, I'd like to see it. <laughs> I can write you one. <laughs> there you go. If you eat, if you eat a crisp apple in the fall, huh, and have a salad on a clear mind, your mind will stay clear. Hmm? Your mind will stay clear, and you'll feel very happy. What? Because the sattva guna in those those objects. The same is true with everything. Every single, since every object in the creation comes from from Maya, huh? Every object, every subtle object, and every gross object comes from Maya, from Ishwara, and Ishwara is the three gunas. Every single object is made up of only those three energies. Every object. There's not one object that what doesn't have sattva, rajas, and tamas in it. People. So this guna model applies to everything. Uh, money. How you handle money. What's your relationship to money? Sattvic, rajas, and tamasic. How you're going to see here if we ever get to that far, how how you worship. The style of worship that you have depends upon your guna, sattvic, rajasic, and tamasic. How you give charity. Hmm? How you make love. The people you associate with. If you associate with tamasic people, your mind will become tamasic. You'll what? That that energy will transfer from their mind into your mind. It's a kind of shakti. So you hang out in, in, with tamasic people and your mind will get dull. You start getting bad habits. You'll, huh? And you start feeling unhappy and depressed. Just it, rajasic people. If you associate with a lot of rajasic people, then your mind is going to be always disturbed. So I need to, I need to look at all, all of my relationship to every object you know, and determine whether that particular activity or that object is what? Is producing rajas, tamas, or sattva. And then I need to modify my lifestyle huh, constantly. Constantly. Because why? Because not only... Huh, not only am I changing, is my mind changing all the time, but the environment in which I find myself is constantly changing also. So new gunas are coming up, appearing in the macrocosmic environment, and what? And I'm part of that environment, so I need to re constantly relate myself to that environment by observing and controlling, regulating and governing my gunas. If you don't do anything then Ishwara will just what? Just keep recycling your predominant gunas over and over and over again. And you will keep acting out the same thing and you'll get more and more and more encrusted and tired and old and conditioned. That's all. You'll just, you see these old people, they're, just, they're only just a bundle of habits. That's all. They can't vary their routine one inch. They're just complete robots. Why? Because they've never managed their gunas. They got stuck in a comfortable guna. It was a comfortable com comfort zone, and they just cannot move out of that. And every habit and every activity just reinforces the same guna over and over and over again, and they become what? They're, we, I, we call them the living dead. They're, mm -hmm. even, though they're, huh? even though they're physically alive, they're actually spiritually dead. They have no, they're totally under the control of the gunas. They're completely bound by their habits, their beliefs, their opinions. You have to look at the way you think. What kind of thinking is my, is my he's going to talk about that here so when we get into the, later in, in, the, in the Gita. The type of thinking that you have, whether it's rajasic or tamasic or sattvic, the knowledge the, the, your attitude or idea about knowledge, whether it's sattvic, rajasic, or tamasic, and so forth and so on. So this, this, this uh, guna model, actually we save it at the, to the last of the teaching because it's extremely sophisticated. 
It's extremely subtle and sophisticated, and it gives you an opportunity to really fine-tune your mind. Get your mind really, really, really fine-tuned. So, uh, so, so that's the idea. Now, having said that, I said when I first started, I said uh, there's the guna model can be used by sannyasis. This, this, this. What I've just told you is, is for karmis, for people that are working on themselves. <clears throat> But what about a person? What about a person whose mind is already qualified and prepared? What what use is the knowledge of the gunas for them? There are some people. Huh? When when you get your when you get your the kind of mind that you want that's perfect for inquiry, when you get that still, clear, energetic mind, that sharp, bright mind, then. You don't need to manipulate the gun as much anymore because you'll have all your habits in place that are keeping that mind steady and still. See, so then what use is the guna knowledge? Well, the guna knowledge is is useful for this reason. It 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 is a means of discrimination. And how do we, how do you use this knowledge to discriminate? Wherever there's a guna, obviously, and there's only three of them, there's awareness, isn't there? The gunas, in this case, are the objects. The gunas are just your experience, aren't they? You're always only experience rajas, tamas, or sattva in some combination. That's a... You're having one experience all the time. You always have one experience. That's all you ever have is one experience. And that experience has these three modes. The mode of passion, the mode of dullness, and the mode of clarity. Those three modes of expression. When you're tamas, if you say, I'm tamasic, what's the problem with that statement? I'm tamasic. I is not tamasic, is it? Why is I not tamasic? Because I is trigun atita. That means I is the one that knows the tamas. I is the knower, and the tamas is the field. The whole we just this. Chapter comes after the field, and it's knower. The field is made up of these three gunas, and what? And that, in addition to those three gunas, there's a fourth factor. It's not a guna, because huh? it pervades all the gunas, and it's other than the gunas, but it's not a guna. That what? Because of which, that guna is known. So, if you say I'm tamasic, you're ignorant, aren't you? What would be the proper statement to say? My mind, my subtle body is tamasic. See the difference? Huh? See the difference? I'm tamasic or my mind is tamasic? What's the truth? The truth is my mind is tamasic. I can't be tamasic, can I? Because I'm free of the gunas. I'm the light, the consciousness, in which the guna is manifest. So all I have to do is discriminate myself from the guna. If I'm rajasic, what are you identifying with? Rajoguna. You're not identifying with the one that knows the guna. The self is always what? Guna-free. It's nirguna. <laughs> the mind and the body are saguna. They're with gunas. And what? The self is nirguna. It doesn't have any guna. It's what? It's gunatita. It's beyond the gunas. That is, it's something other than it's the knower of the guna. And the same with sattva. You won't say, I'm, I'm sattvic, will you? Because there the I has joined the guna. 
the awareness has jumped over the Maya line and identified here with one of the gunas. That's when it becomes a rope or a chain. That's when you get tied down to your experience. <coughs> now, if you're a jiva, a subtle body, then what? You've got to work on your gunas. But if you're the self, do you have to do any work on your gunas? <laughs> no. Absolutely not. And it's going to say in here, I think it's going to say now, uh, in the next, I can't remember if this is the one. Oh yeah, here it is. It's coming up. So, a self-realized person, what? Does he manipulate his gunas? No, why not? He can manipulate his gunas if he wants, but why would he manipulate his gunas? Because what? He knows he's the self. He's the self. So he's not affected by the guna, is he? This is why it says here, Arjuna said, he's asking about these guna teachers, these people who are beyond their gunas. Arjuna's asking, he said, oh, Arjuna said, how do you recognize people who have transcended the gunas? And Krishna replied, here's what he said, very interesting statement. Such people are not averse to any state of mind. In other words, what? They don't care about their what gunas playing. <laughs> any state of mind's okay to them. When their mind is dull, it doesn't affect them. It's just that the mind is dull. When the mind is agitated, well, the mind is agitated. What does it have to do with me? I'm the one that sees the mind. I am never disturbed by any object that's appearing in me. What is the object? My mind. That's all. I'm not bothered when my mind is sattvic, rajasic, or tamasic. I'm the light of awareness that illumines the guna. It says, he says, such people are not averse to any state of mind, even Thomas. They don't even mind being Tomasic. Boy, that's a big sin in the spiritual world, isn't it? Huh? Oh, boy, that, huh? That, that, that's the worst. Even Tomasic. Oh, he's Tomasic. She's Tomasic. Ew! <laughs> Says no, these people don't care. <laughs> My Swamiji one time brought this man to to uh, this is when I was in India. It was a very strange situation. Uh, My guru was probably the the one of the most famous people in India for about forty years. When he died, every major newspaper in the in the country, had his picture in a long obituary about him. He was extremely famous. And he was one of the real spiritual giants of, of India. In fact, they called him the Pope of India. That was it. He was, a, he was a big cheese. So everybody in the spiritual world knew him. And he knew, he knew tens of thousands of people. And uh, when, when, when I was studying with him, uh, he... In, I was staying in the ashram, and there, there, I was studying with a number of, uh, of Indian students, maybe about sixty or seventy. And we used to—he used to bring uh, enlightened people uh, to come and talk to us, or for we could have their darshan. It's called your darshan. So these were very, very powerful, important, beautiful, like spiritual people, the kind of people you, you only read about in books here in the West, but there are a lot of them in India. And they were usually really holy people that you could tell, you could see the radiance and everything in them. And uh, Anandamoy Ma came one time. She was one of the greats. And uh, she was a friend of Swamiji's. He just phoned up and he said, Ma, can you come? I hear you're in town. Please come and give my boys your darshan. And so she came. Yeah, it was really amazing that many we had many of these mahatmas, these great uh, mahatmas, come to to bless us when we were there because Swamiji was was well known. And uh, one day, he called us all to the temple, and uh, 
we went there and, and he, he said, I have a treat for you today. And and we sat around and waited for a while. And then up the, this this great, this really dirty, big, fat, dirty, ugly man with matted hair and everything. He just walks up with there and just like a big slob. He doesn't care, right? And everybody's looking, who's this guy? They thought he was like a beggar off the street. <laughs> but he was a great, a famous avidute. And he was totally Tomasic. Except when he sat down, everybody entered samadhi, boom, in a matter of seconds. Then <laughs> <laughs> he just sat there for a while. Everybody's in this high state of consciousness. And then he said to the Swami, I'm hungry, I want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> and off he went. <laughs> he was, Swamiji wanted us to see what it, what it was, you know, because you could see his radiance, you could feel the peace, but his whole demeanor and his whole body and everything, his mind was all tomasic. It didn't bother him at all. He had an incredible presence and incredible clarity, and he felt such a powerful love, and and uh, it was a it was a marvelous experience and a great lesson that these people are what not bothered by this tamaguna. And uh, what about these people? Krishna says they're not affected by their tendencies, by their vasanas. They have vasanas, but they're not affected. They're not bothered by them. But they stand fast in awareness as awareness, understanding that the gunas are causing the actions. They don't think I'm the doer. They know that the gunas are, are generating the experience, not me. They view conducive and unconducive circumstances equally, stand fast in awareness as awareness, and no longer see difference between a clod of earth and a lump of gold. They no longer initiate undertakings. Uh, these are people that don't start new endeavors. Why not? Because they don't have anything to gain by doing anything. N normally, when, when Western people get enlightened, the first thing they do is set up a website and start... <laughs> start... <laughs> start... <laughs> Yeah, they put out posters, tree vast. <laughs> everywhere, posters everywhere. Huh? Running around, jetting around, going here and there. Huh? Now, these people, they don't start anything. They don't try to, uh, to start anything new. Why? Because what are you going to gain by doing it? What are you going to gain? Huh? There's nothing to gain. You're full. You're so full, you're so complete, and that completeness and that fullness is your nature. It's not something that, that you have created through your actions. You're just a discovery that how complete and full and limitless you are. Why would you go to all the trouble to start some business or some spiritual organization or some whatever? Why would you do all that? What's the point? So these people are not inclined to start these, start anything. They could, but they generally don't do it. So, they're unaffected by praise and blame. They don't care if you like them or not. If you like them, that, that's fine. If you don't like them, that's fine. Who cares? What does it mean? It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't live on the basis of how people see me or how people think about me. I don't care. It's up to you. Do it. You like me? Fine. If you don't, fine. It's all the same. And they see no difference between a friend and an enemy. We've seen these same qualities listed previously. Those who seek and worship me with unswerving devotion means keeping your mind constantly on the teachings, continually discriminating, continually what? Thinking about the Lord. Uh, they transcend the gunas and it says, are qualified to realize the self, they realize the self. So. Indeed, I am the home of the limitless, immortal self, the eternal dharma, and the happiness that is not subject to decay.
we're, we're my wife and I are working on a book now. We just I just finished a, a Panchadasi book, and the Essence of Enlightenment is going to be pub is published already. For those of you who don't haven't read it, please get it and read it. I think you'll really enjoy it because it was written for people Europeans particularly for whom English is a second language. Uh, it's uh, it's it's very simple. It's very easy. It's it's a really good book. So I suggest you get. So we've done those. I suggest you read that. But we've done those, and next our next book is on the gunas. We're going to really explain it in detail, because no, nobody's done much more with the gunas than what you read here, and it's a huge topic. If we can if we can get this book written properly, it it should in, in within maybe ten, twenty, thirty years revolutionize psychology. It's it's the most powerful and potent psychological tool you can have. And it's never, ever been uh, revealed to the West properly. And so we're going to uh, write this book, and I hope that uh, maybe by the end of the year we'll have it done. And then you make a difference. What? And then you make a difference. Well, the, the knowledge will make a difference. I, I won't make a difference, will I? I, <laughs> just remember, just yeah, huh? Don't try to trick me. <laughs> I won't make a difference. This knowledge makes a difference. I can. I can't do it. I'm not a doer, so I can't make a difference, can I? Huh? You say, well, what? But you, sir. But you, sir. You run around all over the world, doing all this stuff. You got the biggest website, and you go rough one. You're jetting all over the place. You got. Here and there and so forth and so on. You must be ambitious too. You must start a new undertakings. No, it's not true. I didn't do anything. I, I was I've been teaching this for you know, for forty five years. Nobody knew about me. I wasn't looking for anything. I was going fishing every day. I lived in the mountains. I just made the mistake of writing a book. And then <laughs> and then everybody wanted this, but I didn't try to do this. <laughs> You, you don't know what being famous is not all that fun. <laughs> Believe me. You, you, you gain a lot, but you lose a lot. I mean, what we gain is, is the, the pleasure of meeting great souls like you guys. It's really nice. It's really satisfying to meet great people like you. But uh, it's a tiring, uh, troublesome business. Huh? Picking up and going here and there and the, in my inbox is full all the time. There's people always got to know things. I got to run tomorrow afternoon, get on the train, and then a publisher is going to meet me in the train station. At, and as soon as I get off the train, this publisher is going to come up, take me to the coffee shop. We're going to sign a contract for a new book, and then I got to go and do something else. It just doesn't end. So you know, it is wasn't this wasn't solicited. <laughs> I'm not making a difference. Ishwara just said, this is your job now, and so I just have to do my job, my duty, whatever it is. So I'm not making a difference. I'm just one little tiny little cog in this big Ishwara wheel you know, that's created by the desire of people what to know who they are. That's all. The world is ready for Vedanta. The spiritual world is ready for Vedanta, the Western spiritual world. It's been it's been the been the premier path spiritual path in India for thousands of years, but here it's never been established. So now it's obviously good people like you have been doing your spiritual work. Your minds are prepared. You're ready to hear this teaching, and you're ready to get moksha. So you know Ishwara's what Ishwara's brought this knowledge to you through people like me. That's all. But I didn't, I didn't cook this up. I didn't want this, <laughs> mind you. I've been, I haven't changed. I haven't changed for forty-five years. Nothing has changed. Every day's been the same for forty-five years. So, uh, and that's that's what he means. If Ishwara wants you to do it, then you'll do it. But there, you don't have any personal desire to what to do anything. You serve the situation. It's called karma yoga. You just serve the situation, whatever it is. That's your dharma. That's your duty, as, as, as the teaching says over and over and over again. 
It's my duty to respond appropriately to what? To the situation in which I find myself at any time. I'm not here to necessarily gain anything from the situation. There, I may gain something from it, but uh, my basic purpose here is to serve the situation because Ishwara puts me here to what? To make a contribution. Understand? That's the whole karma yoga spirit is I need to make a contribution. You don't feel right about yourself unless you're offering something to the world. You, if you're just taking from the world, you will not feel good about yourself. You'll feel guilty. You'll feel uncomfortable. You'll actually be unhappy if you're only thinking about what you can get for yourself. And it, we have there's a lovely little uh, phrase, statement made by one of our poets in America. He said, "The heart that gives gathers." So, huh? You get you get by giving. The, the joy and the pleasure of giving away, giving yourself to the situation of sacrificing or contributing yourself to every situation is the greatest pleasure. It's the greatest gift. So, you know, that's the spirit in which this, that this Gita is, is uh, presented. And... Uh, okay, um, what is it? It's time break, time for the break. break. And then we'll... Take chapter 15. Thank you for listening to the talk of James Wards on the Bhagavad Gita, recorded at Yoga Vidya Bad Meinberg near Hanover in Germany. More information on shiningworld.com and yoga-vidya.org.